Welcome to Hope Renewed, the podcast of PIR Ministries. Thanks for connecting to Hope Renewed, the in-depth podcast about pastoral renewal and restoration. I'm Tom Jameson, and along with co-host Sean Nemechek, we explore the issues and challenges pastors face and help cultivate a renewed hope for healthy ministry lives. So a fundamental axiom of ministry is that people are primary, Uh, but a close second to the people we serve is the context in which we serve them. Being able to navigate the environment and culture of a church setting is a challenge for every pastor. And today we're looking closely at the rural context and ways to maintain hope in the face of the particular issues that the country church pastor faces. Tom, we have a very good friend of mine as a guest today. Uh, We wanted to have him on the podcast two years ago, almost this weekend, uh, (laughs) but then everything shut down because of COVID. And we've been trying ever since to to find a way uh, to have him back on. So I'm really excited about this interview. Uh, Jerry Troyer has faithfully served as the lead pastor of Eastport Baptist Church for almost 25 years. Uh, He loves working with God's people and seeing them become more like Jesus every day. He is also the founder of Rural Shepherdology, a cohort-based coaching service uh, for pastors in rural settings. He and his wife, Mary Jo, have six adult children, and they're waiting for their fourth grandchild to, to appear soon. So we're really excited to have Jerry Troyer with us. Jerry, welcome to Hope Renewed. Thank you for inviting me, and uh, just uh, look forward to this opportunity as well. So I am glad that we have connected so, Jerry, let's start by just having you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, your ministry journey. So my ministry journey is uh, backwards. Uh, at least that's how I like to describe it. Uh, because when I jumped into the ministry over 40 years ago, kind of the mantra was the more experienced you became, the more successful you became, the larger the church you were able to serve in. Uh, I started out interning in a mega church. Uh, moved to a medium-sized church, helped that church double over the 14 years I was there, and then ended up moving to a small rural community I, in an unincorporated village of 400, hmm. and uh, been here for 25 years, as you said, and, and just absolutely love it here. Never thought, because rural is not my background, never thought that I would be here. Uh, That was not my ministry goals. Um, But I'm glad the Lord took me here. It's just been a huge blessing for me personally to be here. And so the Lord knows what he's doing. And uh, I just, I just love it. So your church is located in one of the most beautiful settings that I think any pastor I know has, uh, has the privilege of being at. Tell us a little bit about where you're at. So we are in uh, the area that this makes this very unique setting here. It's not just rural, it's also vacation Mecca land. Mm. Uh, we live, the church is right across from Torch Lake. In the wintertime, we can see Torch Lake through the trees. Um, Torch Lake is rated as the top, one of the top 10 beautiful, most beautiful lakes of the world. We're a half a mile from Lake Michigan shore. Uh, this is where people come to vacation. Uh, 
and so it, it is a gorgeous area. I just, I get to see that every time I drive into church and it never gets old. Mm. And it's, it's just, it's just gorgeous up here. If you can stand the winters up here, um, <laughs> you know, this is, this is a great place to be. So I imagine the uh, tourist industry has impact on your church. It does. Uh, it is it is the most unusual church calendar. I was not used to that. I was downstate Michigan, where you know, uh, you go things come back in the fall. You have consistency through the spring, then you hit the lows of the summer, and here. The population triples in the summertime because of uh, summer residents and vacationers. And so uh, when they leave your church downstate, they come to my church. Um, <laughs> although that has somewhat changed with uh, COVID churches now that are streaming, a lot of churches are. And so some you know people on vacation will tune into their own church, which I have no problem with. Um, <laughs> I think it's great to have that loyalty, but it, it's still better to be in person, even if you're in a visiting area. There's just something about the Lord knew that that personal interaction is uh, so helpful in our spiritual growth and and uh, our own experiences with the body of Christ, and uh, nothing can replace that. But anyway, that's that's part of the uniqueness of my particular area. So with the, the small church, or what we like to call the ordinary church, since you know, the yes. vast majority of the churches are, yep. are under 150 members, uh, was that a draw to you? Uh, what was your heart like when you sensed God calling you to, to a smaller church? A lot of fear, really, quite frankly. Um, I felt like a fish out of water because you know, I, the Lord... The Lord called us here in a unique way. It was so obvious the Lord called us here. And so that really helped in the early years. Mm -hmm. But I knew really very little about rural, small town, small church, small community. And there was not a lot of resources 25 years ago. There were some. Mm -hmm. I was grateful for those. Um, I did find a conference, RHMA's conference on uh, rural ministry really saved me, but I didn't have, you know, if they were out there, I didn't know how to find anybody that other than local pastors. Um, we had created a prayer group of pastors from this area and we got together on a weekly basis, prayed for one another, but then we talked about ministry. That was helpful, but I had no official coach or cohort to be a part of and say, Hey guys, you know, how do we do this? I suppose that, that, uh, prayer group was that, but uh, I made a lot of mistakes, and by God's grace, you know, uh, learn through them. Uh, I, I like to tell the cohort groups, I said, I've made every mistake there is, and so I, I've gone through every bad thing, except for a church split. Um, mm -hmm. This church is over 135 years old, never had a church split in its entire history. It was one of the things that I was excited about when I came here. And uh, so the Lord knew that this is the place we needed to be. It was good for us and it is still good for us. Uh, we're more excited now about the potential of the ministry here than we were even when we came 25 years ago. It is, it is all of the Lord and it's just, it's just 
a joy to be a part of that, even through COVID, our experience here, uh, we've, we've become a healthy church over the years, and uh, we grew through COVID, uh, interesting enough, mm-hmm. and it wasn't anything that we did. It was something that the Lord did, which is even uh, a greater joy to see that. It's very humbling to see when the Lord does things that you can't orchestrate, and it's a good place to be. Not to say that we weren't frustrated at times or struggled at times or how do we handle this or now what do we do or Mm -hmm. I'm tired of not being able to know what the future is and all those kinds of things. But the Lord's been faithful to us Mm -hmm. uh, the entire time, especially these last two years. It's just been very exciting to see what the Lord's doing. I imagine having, you know, a 25 year context to, to see that in because so often we want to see things quickly, right? You know, Lord, be faithful now. We, we mm-hmm. want to see that happen now. And, and it requires patience. It requires perseverance. Uh, I love your testimony about the certainty of the call as grounding you in coming uh, to serve, but not without its challenges, not, not without the, the difficulty, certainly, uh, of that. What what are some of the unique challenges that, that you see? You mentioned lack of resources and maybe isolation, but some of the other unique challenges in being a, a rural or a small town pastor. Well, I don't think you have enough time on this podcast to go through <laughs> all the unique challenges of rural ministry, but it really is, uh, it really has its unique challenges. Not, you know, there's a challenge in every size church. We are in a spiritual warfare and devil uses whatever our context is to uh, challenge us and get us off track. But in addition to the limited resources, one of the things that makes most small churches, uh, and this is, this is regardless of whether you're rural or in a city, but you have a small church that's been stagnant for, is that everybody is important. Mm. So even the difficult dysfunctional members of the body are seen as essential. Mm -hmm. And so they will bend over backwards beyond what they should to keep those people there. And, you know, as a pastor, that, that can be frustrating at times, you know, but that's also one of the challenges. Um, You know, one of the things that I grew up uh, learning is that I wasn't very good at confrontation. And over the years, the Lord has taught me how to do that better. I'm not perfect at it now. I'm not going to ever claim to be perfect <laughs> at that. Um, but knowing how to handle dysfunctional members in the body can help you lead your church to become healthier in handling those things. And That's one of the reasons I believe in longevity, not just because it's good for the church, but it's good for me. I can't do a seven-year package of this is what I preach, this is what I do, then I move on to the next church, start over, do the same series. I have, it's pushed me to personally grow, and I value that immensely, and it's something that I think is very important for spiritual leadership of a church to model is that we're not perfect. We have issues. And that's the other unique challenge of a small town or small churches. You can't hide most of your stuff. Now you can hide some things, 
but they see you in the ups and downs. They see you when you're going through difficulties. What a great opportunity to model how to handle all that. And even modeling that I'm not perfect in going through those things and how I reconcile that, how I ask for forgiveness when I'm wrong. How do I reach out and cry out to God when I'm at the end of my rope? I mean, you can just go on and on and on. And um, that's good for me as a believer. It's good for me as a spiritual leader that uh, I can model. And, and, I, and I am really grateful in church history right now. We can be more transparent than we've ever been. And that's exactly what the young generation is looking for anyway. They're not looking necessarily for the latest band or fog machines in your church service or all that stuff, which typically small churches don't have budgets for those kind of things anyway. What they're really looking for is integrity. They're looking for real, just to be real and uh, transparent. And that attracts people, you know, and it ministers to people. I think some of my best messages is when I humbly shared uh, some inner personal stuff going on and the struggles that I had, and I've gotten the highest response. Uh, what does that mean? That's another whole discussion we could probably have about responses that people have uh, to messages and services and whatnot. But I, you, you know, when typically, you know, when something really hits home and people really helps people. I remember one time being sick, really sick and uh, in recovery, strong enough to preach, but there wasn't anybody to preach. I felt I needed to do that. So I got a stool and I sat down for my message mm -hmm. and I shared about something the Lord had led me to share. It was very personal. Uh, I, I'm telling you, the guys in the congregation just I still have that that was maybe one of my best messages, even though it really wasn't your typical <clears throat> message. So, you know, those, those are the experiences you get to have that are so valuable. And, and you realize, okay, God, you can use me even with my weaknesses and my, my issues, you know, and I think, I think that's how the body's supposed to function. Mm. So, Jerry, you and I connected over the fact that we were both from, uh, not from rural context, we were from the city and we moved into the rural areas. And um, in the city, uh, the church can have its own unique identity, its own unique culture, uh, same in the suburbs. But when you get to rural areas, um, it, the, the church really is deeply connected with the local culture. Um, and uh, how did you learn to navigate that transition? So uh, a lot of prayer, a lot of crying out to God, a lot of learning on my part um, and learning what agrarian mindset was like. You know, I remember uh, one of the patriots here at the church, his mantra was when I came in, if we could just maintain what we have, we'll be okay. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and by God's grace, we've gone way beyond that. I'm like, no, we want to, we want to thrive. We want to flourish. I remember the first person that came to Christ in my ministry. And I remember one of the men coming in, pastor, enjoy this one because you don't see this here. I'm like, no, that's not acceptable. 
<laughs> no, we, we can expect God to do more than that. And, uh, you know, you don't see the turnover. It does take longer. Our culture has changed a lot. It does take much longer to see someone come to Christ. But our expectations need to be high, even though, and here's another area of uh, the struggle in rural settings, is this is the darkest area in America, mm. uh, I believe. There is uh, a spiritual depravity in rural America. We're just fine as we are. And we all know that's dangerous. Mm. You know, I can make it on my own. Because you have to have that kind of spirit to survive, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, at least where we're at. Uh, often people carry more than one job and, and you know, they, they do what they can to make it. And so that spirit works against the Holy Spirit's needing for us to be hum walk humbly with our God, not I'm okay on my own. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's, there's just a huge need for spiritual revival in rural America. So we, we talked a little bit about some of the challenges, and I don't want to give the impression that rural ministry is all hard <laughs> because uh, it can be really beautiful, too. What are some of the yes. blessings you've experienced in rural ministry? Well, I, the love of the people here um, is huge, and that was one of the things I inherited uh, in the church body, although that needed to grow, uh, but if I have a struggle or if I have a problem, I'm glad I'm here. They have my back. They, they, will, they will pull everything out to meet the needs of somebody struggling. Your family here, they know you, you know them, you've had a relation, you know, especially the longer you're able to be here and develop a relationship of love and trust. Um, that took time because they didn't trust the leadership here. And that's often... Another negative characteristic of a huge turnover. The church here had a history record of three to four, maybe five years, and you're out. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't want to make any changes, uh, not just because of the agrarian mindset. They, they were like, we'll see if you survive, because the next pastor come along, he's going to want to do something different. And we're tired of all these, you know, we'll just wait you out and, you know, we'll wait for the next guy. But the culture has changed here dramatically. It's one of the reasons I believe long-term ministry is essential for rural ministries. I'm sure it's essential mm -hmm. for every area, mm -hmm. but especially rural churches, you have to develop that trust. Um, and once you develop the trust, then, then you, know, you maintain that. You can do things and you can change culture through relationships. But you have to, you know, it's already been mentioned, you have to be patient. And uh, one of the things that I teach in rural shepherdology is where your church is at health-wise, how fast can you make changes? Some churches are not ready to make fast or quick changes. When I came here, everything was micromanaged. Oh my goodness, I, I don't want to tell you those horror stories, but <laughs> it it uh, but I I can make little changes at a time, and then and then we could increase the changes to a little bigger, and then we can make them a little bigger. Now we make now, now we're risk takers mm. in a rural setting. Mm. And, uh, hey, let's try this. Okay, that sounds good. Let's, you know, and here we mm. go, you know. But again, that's taken time. Uh, yeah. And, and I guess the dynamic I'm hearing is the, the very thing that is most difficult about rural ministry 
is also on the other side, the, the greatest blessing, mm-hmm. uh, kind of, a, you know, we're not going to trust you and we're going to see if you're going to stick around. But having that, I love the picture of the agrarian mindset for the pastor. I'm going to stay and, and nurture and tend this garden. Um, I'm not going to give it a quick shot of fertilizer and see if anything happens. And if it doesn't amount of here that once that builds the trust, uh, creates the, the context for the relationships, then the beauty of the strength of the community of a rural church that, that you oftentimes don't see in, in larger churches or, or more transient type, type churches um, shows forth. And the blessing of being here this long, all that hard labor to develop a baseline of health, spiritual health, in a church, and we're not a perfect church. I need to say that we have not arrived. We have some major holes we're working on uh, to develop. But the blessings of long-term ministry—oh my goodness—we are enjoying the fruits of that labor. Mm-hmm. It, and we would have missed it had we left, even after twelve years, which is considered a long term. We would have missed all that we're going through right now. God is opening doors. People are getting saved. New families are coming. Young families are coming. You know, old families are coming. You know, it's 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 on and on and on it goes. It's just people are growing in the Lord. And, you know, that that does a body and a soul really good to be a part of that, mm. you know. Mm. But we've all been grieving uh, over these last couple of years with all the difficult things. And that's that's been a whole new dynamic of, but again, I'm not going to run from that. You know, that's the sad, sad thing that I see right now is that pastors are leaving because they're tired of it. Mm. Well, where's their relationship with the Lord to carry them through the difficult times? And what does that say to the body of believers that when life gets hard, we leave and flee to something else? Not, I'm not trying to spiritualize that to the sense of it, it may be a right opportunity to move. The Lord does, you know, there's no one size fits all in the ministry, mm-hmm. but we get an opportunity through these crises. And now with Ukraine, we get, a, we get an opportunity to model, which by the way, uh, is a much better teacher than our preaching ministry. Mm-hmm. I believe that three quarters of what I teach my people is modeled Mm. is caught not taught Mm. and when you model then when you teach it has it has a really strong impact you know where we think that our teaching ministry that it all hinges on our delivery our powerpoints our you know Mm -hmm. all the technology which is good i have all that technology you know and i love it and we broadcast our services and you know, we were doing that before COVID hit um, because we saw the need for that. But none of that matters if you're not modeling and growing. What does that say when we run from our problems? Well, we do need breaks from our problems, right? Sabbaticals are good and vacations are really good. And, you know, all, you know, proper balance in your life, you know. But if we're not modeling, that, we're just going to trust God. We don't know the future. Truth is, we never did know the future. Now we get to live it. Hmm. Um, that that really is, I, I think, says a lot about our walk with the Lord 
it, you know, and I'm better at it now. I'm sure I'm going to be stretched and grow some more in the future. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's the way it works. Yeah. And, and again, that dynamic of having your life so evident and open and obvious in a rural context that in a suburban or city context maybe isn't there. Uh, it, it both uh, gives the opportunity to model, as you're saying, but it also makes you very exposed. And uh, perhaps for a lot of people, that, that sense of when do I, you know, when do I get me time? When, when do I get to just be off the clock kind of thing? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but, but the challenge that, that that is for a rural pastor to recognize really your, your whole life is your ministry. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Sean. Oh, I was just going to say, and Jerry hit on that uh, a little bit earlier, that sometimes it's harder for a rural pastor to to get away, to find somebody to come in and fill the pulpit when you're sick or when you're uh, on vacation. And uh, that, that's one of the, the great challenges in, in that context, I think. So what, what lesson do you wish you had learned before you became a rural pastor? It's a really good question. I I think probably the might, I'm going to change the question or the answer to the question a little bit. I think what I wish I had was networking when I came in. I wish I had a better network to fall on and to help me through the beginning years of my ministry. I would have not made as many mistakes and I would have had a little more hope in the downtime and I would have been a little more leveled in the time and you know uh just having somebody to do that with um but i i i think that you know the lord was growing me obviously pushing me out of my comfort zone and pushing me here and uh leading me here and and uh you know you just you learn along the way which i think is good and i think that modeling because i i my personal feeling is that there are too many Christians that are stagnant, including pastors. They can speak well, they can talk spiritually, but they're not growing spiritually. Mm -hmm. They are burnt out. They have not managed their time well. And so their relationship with the Lord suffers. And so they're just going through the motions and, you know, the, the vitality, what keeps you going is your connection with God. You know, you, you're ready to charge the mountain when you're vibrant, when you're exhausted, and when you're depleted, your resources, you're not ready to charge the hill. So, I, you know, I, I really appreciate the, the movement in church leadership to become healthier as an individual and working that self-care pastors are horrible. They're kind of like nurses and doctors. They're very horrible at self-care and uh, learning how to do that um, in in a rural setting. I had this false vision because I moved from a staff of three mid-sized church to a rural area of about 70 people in vacation Meckenland, which includes hunting and fishing. Uh, and I said to my wife, oh, I can't wait to move to Eastport because I'm going to have all time to go hunting and fishing and we're going to do this <laughs> and that. And little did I realize that a solo pastor, everything came across my desk and 
I had less time mm-hmm. to do that stuff. That's gotten better because I, I don't have to do a solo ministry here. And what I mean by that is my spiritual leadership are, are doing ministry with me now, where before when I first came in, it was like, okay, pastor, we're going to watch you work. And then we'll judge you when you're done as to how well you did. And, you know, that, that wasn't that bad, but that was the general flow of things. So where have you been able to find help for some of those uh, dark times that you experienced as a pastor? Um, they've come in a variety of ways. I don't think there's any one thing that I would say, this is my go-to, except I, my personality is, is when I have dark times, I run to the Lord mm-hmm. and I run to scripture and I cry out to him. Um, I know others have personalities where it shuts their relationship down with the Lord. And I don't think that's good or bad. I just think that's recognizing who you are. But for me, that has kept me in the game. Um, some of it's my personality. I see a glass half full instead of half empty. You know, God and gifts us all differently. And so what works for me may not work for somebody else. But that really has, if, if there's any one go-to, it's like, okay, I need to get along with God and I need to reconnect and find out, okay, what, where are you at? Where are you working, Lord, to join you there? And those kinds of things, um, you know, and, and, and God has given me a mind to look at the bigger picture of what he's doing in hardship versus what do I want to accomplish you know, I was, I was high on goals coming in and I've thrown a lot of that mentality out and have, you know, looked to, okay, Lord, where are you moving? Where are you moving us in this next step and following mm-hmm. him and have seen, been privileged enough to see the blessing of the Lord, even in the midst of dark times, there's been those blessings. And that always, for my soul, that always charges me. Uh, let's go forward, you know, let's, mm. let's do this. Mm. So, but I've been to retreats just to get away. And, you know, I appreciate your ministry of helping pastors figure that out uh, because we, you know, it's, it's a growing process. How I approach it now is much different than I did 20 years ago or 30 years ago. But when I first got into the ministry, you know, you learn over the years and, uh, you know, there, there's lots of great material out there and resources out there now for pastors. If they will just reach out and accept the help that's out there and listen to the advice that's out there. There's lots of great places to do that. And we just need to take advantage of it. It, it, there, it really does speak to the, the need for intentionality, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, and, and basing that, as, as you uh, shared, a sense of knowing yourself and understanding yourself uh, that comes out of a depth of relationship with God. Uh, but then moving forward and having the, the flexibility and the resiliency to allow the dark times or the difficult times to be the, the opportunities uh, for God to work. I just, you know, as you share, I'm thinking of all the Psalms that David wrote. And I was reading Psalm 13 this morning, you know, how long, Lord, how long, how long, how mm-hmm. long? Yet, my hope is in you. And mm-hmm. I will look for you and I will see what you're doing. And I'll allow that to be 
what orients me. Amen. Uh, and Amen. how crucial that is uh, for, especially, I would imagine, for a role pastor who uh, more often than not is just kind of out there on their own, uh, or it feels like that. They need to get connected. They, they really need to connect. And there are groups out there to help them connect if their own local church association or, you know, if when I first came here, we were an independent church. Uh, we didn't have any associations. You find them, go find them. Well, let's find one now. Tell, tell yeah. us about rural shepherdology. How are you helping other rural pastors? So my niche in rural shepherdology is to find the pastors who are just moved into the rural context like I did 25 years ago and doesn't come from that background. And, uh, uh, you know, I, it's not just young pastors, it's pastors who've pastored in city churches um, who've moved into a rural context like I did, you know, that have a lot going on. They have a lot of great leadership, but they don't understand a rural context. My hope is to give them that context so that they make less mistakes and they stay healthy and they understand what motivates people and, and uh, you know, how to make those changes in a way that's healthy, um, how, to, how to gear your expectations in a way that's so you're not frustrated when you run into this. Oh, this is normal. Oh, this is, this is other people are facing this too. I mean, that's huge <laughs> in, in dealing with difficulties is realizing you're not going through a journey all by yourself. You're not the only one. Your, your church is not at the end of its rope. Your, your church has hope. You know, this is, this is how you look at it and, you know, being able to deal with little little methods and techniques that tend to fit more of a rural setting or a small church setting. Um, how do you navigate difficulties? How do you, I mean, and it goes on and on, you know, but how do you, how do you break down the walls when the walls are up? How do you get through that? You know, is there a strategy? Is there a method? And, and to talk about those things uh, in a cohort setting, that's, it's not a one-on-one -on -one specifically designed because they get to hear other churches and pastors in those churches, what they're struggling with. So they get more cases that we get to deal with. And, uh, uh, but they, you know, these guys, they, these guys teach me too. I, I love the fact that it's not just a one-way street. Um, I, I'm charged by what they are doing, how God's blessing them. And when they make a discovery, it, it opens a door. How do you handle this difficult person when, the church won't kick them out, you know, or shut them down or say, you can no longer be a spiritual leader because you're not behaving very well right now. You know, how do you, how do you do that and still survive? Mm -hmm. uh, not that you have the magic potion for every situation, you know, it's not, it's, it's a journey and it's relational and et cetera, et cetera. But that's, that's basically the heart of rural shepherdology is to help pastors uh, get a framework to see the bigger picture so that they're not bogged down with the little mundane everyday things that can drag them down. And you're on the right course. Just be patient. Just wait. Mm -hmm. The Lord's going to do something. If you do this, this, and this, the Lord's going to do this, this, and this. And, you know, that's the joy of rural shepherdology. That's, that's uh, what the Lord's called me to on a part-time basis 
So that's that's what we're about. And we, we keep the prices low specifically because, you know, rural churches don't have the big budgets uh, to pay for, uh, you know, a consultant to come in, you know, or, yeah, I'll come in and we'll teach you about your church. Yeah, it'll be four or $5,000. And you're like, what? Mm. <laughs> I don't think so, you know. So that's that's our heartbeat with Rural Shepherdology. And uh, my hope long-term is to, out of the group of men over the years that I coach, is that they'll take up that mantra as well. Some of them will take up that mantra, Mm -hmm. and this thing will grow. Because as we've talked about, uh, what, 65, 85% of churches are under 100. Mm -hmm. Um, this 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 is what the natural, normal body of Christ looks like. Yeah. And, and uh, God uses it. God has, we're strong together. We're very strong, very influential. Uh, we make such a huge impact together as small churches, even more, I believe, than the mega churches do. And there's, mm. there's certainly space for the mega church. I'm, I'm grateful for mega churches. The first church in Jerusalem was a mega church, as we would describe it. You know, God's got lots of neat things he's doing. He's not up there with wringing his hands wondering, what are we going to do now with all these small <laughs> churches that don't have a much of a budget? They can't do much for me, you know, and that's not true. Oh, my goodness. God has great things in store. And, and so important for a pastor to recognize they're, they're part of the larger work of God. Uh, because I would imagine in a rural context, it's very easy to fall into the lie of, the church really doesn't count. It doesn't matter. We don't have the big numbers or the big programs. And, you know, what's the use anyway? I've just got this group of people that get on my nerves more than anything else and, and lose sight of that greater call and the greater context, uh, as you say. And, and I would agree heartily with you that God's doing more through ordinary sized churches together than perhaps any one mega church uh, or large church anywhere else. Spirit of God is not limited by size. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It, you know, God, God's powerful and, and lives change when we're walking with God and we're, you know, cause we can't do it. We never could do it. And, and so, you know, the small church ministry is really good for pastors because it reminds us what we already knew. We really can't make any changes in people's lives. We can influence people, but the job of changing people's lives is God, and he's not limited by our budgets, our vision, our lack of vision, our inabilities, our abilities, whatever you want to list. That's not limited by any of that. Mm-hmm. Let's focus on him and watch him do incredible things. <laughs> yeah. Jerry, I can't think of anybody better to help uh, young pastors who are coming into rural context. Uh, you and I kind of uh, grew up together and struggled together through uh, this this learning to minister in a rural context like that. And um, it's it's really fun to see you thriving now. Uh, and passing some of this on to others. So um, just if you could speak to that, that young pastor who's just stepped into a new role, uh, what are the advantages of having a mentor or coach 
uh, for that pasture, uh, especially one who's moving into a new cultural setting. Man, there's help out there. If you don't, if you don't know what to do, if you don't know how to deal with ministry, if it's overwhelming to you, reach out for help. Help is out there. It's not just me. There are lots of groups out there that can help you learn how to thrive in any setting. You know, it doesn't make a difference what size your church is or where you're at. Uh, stop chasing numbers. Seek God and trust him to do what you cannot do. And uh, if you need someone out there with that voice to help you with that, then reach out. There's help. There's scholarships out there. Oh, my goodness. There's don't let money be an issue uh, to reaching out and getting help because there, it, the help is out there. So how would someone connect with uh, Rural Shepherdology? They can go to my website. Uh, all the connection uh, information is there, which is ruralshepherdology.org. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that would be the where I would start. And they would get an overview of, of what we do uh, through the Ministry of Rural Shepherdology. Yeah, that'd be the best way. What What's the, the time commitment? What are some of the logistics about uh, being a part of this? So we meet once a month over Zoom. And again, it's one of those new technologies that, you know, I'm meeting with pastors all across the country. Um, we limit the size to four pastors, no more than four pastors at a time. Uh, we meet for 90 minutes once a month. There's a little bit of homework involved, uh, both before and after the session. And uh, it's a one-year commitment. And so, you know, it, it's designed not to be too heavy of a load because, you know, you pastors are already overloaded. So it gives them enough to work on. Um, but it's, it's, it's relational and they can call me anytime if they run into something on top of the sessions, um, which they often do. Mm-hmm. So, um, but it's just, it's just a simple way of, you know, being encouraged because they're, they're, they're going to meet with other pastors who are struggling with the same similar issues and then they're going to hear the victories throughout the year of things that they discover, things that happen. That's encouraging. Mm-hmm. You know, they realize that, oh, I'm not alone. That's, that's the big one. I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. And here's some hope. Here's, here's a strategy. Now, you know, it, one of the things I teach is that stop one size fits all answer. Just because it works in one rural church doesn't mean it's going to work in your rural church. Mm. You know, so we try to deal more with principles than with methods, although we talk about some methods, but you know, that's, that's basically the gist of what we do. Is there a specific framework you walk through? I, I have a, I have a course, you know, I have an outline that where I take them through. Um, but um you know, it's flexible to the group and it's relational and we do lots of rabbit trails and, you know, we, we meet people where they're at. And, but there's three books I have them read through the year and that kind of thing. So, but it's just a jumping off point of, of uh, the context of, you know, the beginnings of rural ministry. So, uh, Jerry, uh, we always uh, like to ask our, our guests the same question. Um, and uh the question is this, what, what words of hope would you like to share with pastors and their families? What a time to be alive in the ministry of God. <laughs> yeah. We are in the pressure cooker 
And when we go from one crisis to the next, I'm looking out to say, what is God doing? Mm -hmm. And I firmly believe that one of the things out of the many things that he's doing is he's tilling up the hardened soil of our hearts. Mm-hmm. We, have, we have learned to walk without God mm-hmm. and we've spiritualized it. And we think we know what Christianity is when we're missing the boat mm-hmm. of being dependent on the spirit of God that can do things in, in I, I am looking forward with great, hope and anticipation of a spiritual revival and renewal, even in the rural context, because we have, we're coming to an end of ourselves, and we're also realizing we're not in control. Hmm. And those hardships, you look throughout history, uh, in the church, not only in the New Testament and Old Testament, but also in the history in the last 2,000 years, when, when there's hardship, God's doing something special. That's what I'm looking at, and that's what I'm looking forward to. I think there's going to be a great spiritual harvest in days ahead. Don't quit. Good <laughs> stuff is coming. The stuff we all long and pray for. This is a time to charge the hill. And expect great things. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, sometimes it's uh, it, when we feel like it's time to quit, that's when we're just about ready to make that breakthrough. Yeah. And uh, we may be on that, that cusp of seeing something amazing happen. So, Jerry, thank you so much for taking some time to be with us and to share about rural shepherdology. We really appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, thank you for your your hope and encouragement that you you bring us. Uh, and as always, we invite you, our listeners, to rate and review Hope Renewed in iTunes or your favorite podcast app, and to share this podcast with your friends on social media. It's a great way to help us continue to bring hope to others. Thanks for joining us today. It is our prayer that your hope in Christ brings strength and joy as you serve him in whatever context he's calling you to PIR Ministries partners with God and the Church in the work of pastoral renewal and restoration to cultivate new hope for healthy ministry lives. You can learn more about us at our webpage, pirministries.org, or email us at info at pirministries.org. Thanks for joining us for Hope Renewed, and remember, the hope Christ offers will never put us to shame.